There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Walmart, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you can get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. And we're back with Crooked Media's Behind the Podcast. I'm Ira Madison III, and this is the true story of 300 episodes of Keep It. Oh, wow. Was this... Were you referencing the real world or MTV or... I don't think I Everything. got what you were going behind for. Behind the music. Oh, I was sure. Behind the music, you know. Here's Lindsey Buckingham with a, a testimonial about <laughs> Stevie doing cocaine in 1987 at the Allstate <laughs> Arena. Uh, I'm Louis Fertel. Yes, 300 episodes of Keep It. And I think we've covered almost four topics during that time. <laughs> <laughs> Madonna. <laughs> yes, right. Kylie, the other Madonna. Uh, yes. Um, Oscars. You know what? We well, we had our Kanye West and Trump uh, era. Too. I was literally going to say and Kanye uh, West because once upon a time we felt <laughs> like it was necessary to explain Kanye West to people, <laughs> like we were like Freud or something. Let's not forget Harvey Weinstein. Oh yeah, that. Remember when? Yeah, yeah. there would be difficult issues we discussed. Woof! Thank God that's over. Also, in honor of our three hundredth episode, I asked our fans, our listeners, to give us questions uh t- i told them that ask us anything we love an ama mm-hmm. on this podcast because we have to do less work right they give us the material and then we just talk back to it you see mm-hmm. cheap labor. um first question from uh mr marco boyer okay are there any keep it you look back on and think that was a majorly bad take you know what no uh, all together. <laughs> when I'm dismissive, it's time for that thing to go. I'm trying to think. I mean, I think occasionally sometimes an album will come out and then I'll not like it at the time. And then like music, generally speaking, I think has a way of growing on you. Like I remember I didn't mm-hmm. like Casey Musgraves breakup album at the time. And not that I love it now, but a few of those songs I do really like. So I don't know if I regret saying that, but it's hard to judge music altogether right when it comes out, I think, because you don't know how it's going to stick mm-hmm. with you. Of course. I mean, we'll, of course, be doing that later with Troye Sivan's. Precisely. Uh, yes, watch me do it this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I feel like famously you will say keep it to a movie trailer. 
Yes. Oh no, I remember at the time um we the when Renee Zellweger was in Judy, I said absolutely not and threw things and like was calling Lorna Luft asking her to cancel the movie. <laughs> and uh and then of course she won the Oscar and I agreed with her. She deserved to win that Oscar. It was had a performance with electrifying moments in it. Yeah, or we hear about a movie and we're like, what are we doing here? I still believe that we will be right about Wonka. I have to tell you, I've never seen a movie that large. <laughs> That seems so crazily bad. I can't believe how bad those trailers are. It could be our new Wild Wild West. That's beautifully stated. And I can't believe we did that mainly to <laughs> Kevin Klein. Will Smith, <laughs> wild choices left and right. Obviously, some of them are going to be great. But Kevin Klein, not Otto from uh, A Fish Called Wanda, which I believe is the only time the worlds of zany and friggin' hot have intersected. Mm. Jada Pinkett Smith reveals that she watched A Fish Called Wanda for the first time this week. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I have to say, maybe we'll get to that in the Keep It segment, but the Jada Pinkett Smith situation, I want to get to her questions. I'm so sorry. Her talking about how they haven't been married, I actually was awestruck. I have to say I stopped in my chair. I feel we've been a bit indulgent about whatever it is is going on with them. And then it's like, wait, we weren't even like 1% correct? What? Yeah, it's, I feel like actually it went from annoying to now it's, it it became funny. It became a meme this weekend, right? With everyone talking about new things she could reveal. I feel like we knew that they had basically lived separate lives. We knew that. But when she said, when he went up there and said, you know, don't talk about my wife, he hasn't referred to me as that in years. I was like, what are we doing here? Right. And then afterwards, she said, I'm leaving this room your wife. Like, like that yeah. moment, like got their relationship back on track or something. So <laughs> baffling. Like everything's a clue and everything is misleading. <laughs> Which actually, as a dramatic turn in a marriage, charging the stage at the Oscars and slapping a man to save your marriage is is kind of, you know, the thing that we write. No, I mean, A Star is Born, anybody? I mean, just, yeah, it, yeah. it, it, it belongs in a movie and you know we're going to get that movie. So how about that? Yeah. Actually, it is very, I was thinking about A Star is Born recently, um, just like the scene, obviously, where Bradley Cooper, uh, you know, pisses himself on stage and how insane that would be to watch IRL and then thinking about watching the slap IRL. And it seems so out of body. And if it were in a movie... We'd be like, that's ridiculous. That would never happen. Right. No, this is often the problem with people adapting real life events into movies. Like, for instance, when like um, uh, a uh, a dark horse sports team like ends up like like the miracle, that hockey movie where like they won the Mm. Olympics. The U.S. won the Olympic hockey uh, competition. You know, I'm a big sports fan. Um, uh, uh, It's like (laughs) this, this doesn't work as a movie because it's extraordinary stories make ordinary movies, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Taylor was at that game, yeah. by the way. <laughs> I'm sure, yes. <laughs> Waving a hockey stick like fucking Jason. Speaking of Miss Taylor Swift. Oh, is she in the news again? As as you know, I am a Swifty. Right, whatever uh, that means. Th- th- well, it's basically like 300... saying you're an organized religion at this point. Like, and by the way, I'm a fucking Christian, first of all. <laughs> I'm a Swifty scientist. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that other music exists. Right. Um, <laughs> no, what happens is what has happened actually over 300 episodes of this show is I feel like our listeners have seen me go on 
quite the Taylor Swift journey. Well, I think like five years ago or five and a half years ago when we started this podcast, maybe the tabloid stories about her were a little bit, I, I don't know, just general opinion about her was different. Like she had tons of fans, obviously, but it's just accelerated so much. She's like elevated from, I don't know who at the time, uh, she's just Rihanna level now, as opposed to then when mm. she was like, you know, kind of in this mid tier, is she going to be a legendary thing? Is she going to you know stand the test of time? And now she's the only thing we remember in time. Yes. Um, so being a Swifty, I'm aware of the movie event of the weekend, which uh-huh. was, um, you know, the Eras Tour concert film. And speak, speaking of um, Christian scientists, um, I don't think I've seen videos this crazy outside of sort of a an exorcism. Right. Of people watching this concert in AMC theaters, I am terrified to go and see this film, not at a time that's like 11 a.m. on a Wednesday. Which, by the way, you can't do. I went to go see Taylor Swift last night, Monday. Uh, I was like, uh, you know, as journalism is important to me. I wanted to be an informed person for this podcast. And you can only see it on the weekends because I think the strategy is that she wants everybody to see it in a relatively full theater. And so mm-hmm. midweek, obviously, that's hard. And, not, you know, it's AMC, but you have to pay $20 anyway, even if you're a part of their, like, A-list or stubs or whatever. I have to actually give her props. It's sort of interesting. But she insists, basically, you see it with people falling to their knees and throwing their hands in the sky. I mean, some of these videos was were like the lowest budget Blair Witch sequel. <laughs> they were basically frothing at the mouth. Yeah. Uh, in these <laughs> right. videos. People like and people with their with their phone lights and their lighters and dancing around and somehow they're all wearing white. Right. And then it's, also bracelets. Like I'm sorry, Jim Jones, it just wasn't much different. It just wasn't that much different yeah. over there. Talk about a barn burner. It's giving cross burner. <laughs> also, it's so, just, I mean, it's astounding. I mean, like, I guess if a movie is going to be two hours and 45 minutes and the demographic age range is like anywhere from like 35 to four years old, people are going to have to run around. You know, people have to run around on the aisles. That's fair. You're hearing screaming um, just in the corridors of AMC and you're like, is it Erez or is it Saw? <laughs> <laughs> also, it's like it's sort of a budget version of the U2 sphere experience. Like, oh, sounds are coming mm. from everywhere. And I'm really, you know, in, uh, enmeshed in this uh, sonic atmosphere, except also you're being terrorized. By the way, I have to say, I'm not a U2 stan. It seems like I have to go see that concert. I want to see it. I When you talked about wanting to see Pink, I was like, you know what? I want to see U2 in the sphere. I mean, just like I'm not somebody who's like a stickler for the way music sounds. I'm not like a live music obsessive, but the way it, it really seems like a one of a kind experience over there. And he still sounds amazing. Also, I still haven't seen Bono live um, as yeah, a YouTube neither. fan. So. And, and he did a whole tour where PJ Harvey opened up for him. I messed up. I should have been there. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, that remember when I talked about how. Um, here comes the sun terrorizes me because I when I went to high school at Marquette in Milwaukee, um, there was a retreat that we were on called Kairos where they repeatedly played "Here Comes the Sun" every morning to wake us up. Sick. The song they also played was "U2's A Beautiful Day." Mm. 
arguably the also most VH1 moment. Me. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, you know, so they're there scarring. As you yeah. know, my two favorite U2 songs are Mysterious Ways. And do you know what is a fucking banger song? Elevation. Mm. Elevation slays. Oh, I love Elevation. Yeah. That's actually a very good album, you know? All That You Can't Leave Behind, yes. Very definitive yes. of what I will call the VH1 era, yes. Yeah, I mean, nothing will top... Um, Calling an album like How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. Oh, by the way, if anybody wants to put six too many words in a title, it's Bono. It's like, stuck in a moment you can't get out of. Where the streets have no name. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Like, why? You, it could be three words shorter. <laughs> Throwing your arms around the world or whatever that song is called. Yeah. Um, Classy Glassy wants to know. Oh, question. Each of our favorite interviews on the podcast honestly impossible question people astound me on the show i loved we just had uh, patricia arquette on who was a fucking amazing mm. interviewee one of the first i don't know about first but like uh it was our first major pandemic interview we had jane fonda on who as you guys know is yeah. my favorite movie star and man does she fucking bring it for somebody who has had a 60 plus year career the sharpness of her memory and her willingness to like reinvestigate every part of her career, every part of her wild, um, I'll, I'll say persona. Um, I mean, she's just second to none. You know, we, we, we will never have a celebrity like that again. So she's just fucking awesome. But, but Carrie Brownstein, I loved. Uh, uh-huh. um, I love when we have Gabrielle Union on this show. She's an awesome interview. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Ira? I honestly, weirdly, you weren't involved in this interview. Oh, you don't uh, say, bitch. I do. <laughs> in the first year of the show, uh, I was, you know, doing interviews by myself. Oh, uh, right. Yes, well, yes. Yeah. Um, well, you know, you were busy. Right. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I didn't want to upset everybody at work with my podcast. Yeah, it was It was sort of like I was just um, traveling the city with uh, my band of um, podcaster friends. Yeah, uh, right, right, and, right. You know, but I interviewed Holland Taylor oh, in the first yes. season of our show. And that actually hooked into, I feel like, what is what we do best in our interviews and sort of what I realized I do best in mine, too. It was... You know, an older actress who was she came in person um, to this podcast, and I feel like she had no idea what to expect. She right. was like, "Okay, I'm, I'm like this millennial is going to interview me. Uh, maybe they're going to ask questions about Sarah Paulson, mm-hmm. whatever." Um, and no, I asked her questions about her career. I asked about the practice. Uh, I asked about. Um, and um, the show that she was in, um, which I had seen. And, you know, I think that she, when she left it, the interviews, she was just delighted that I knew things about her career and surprised. And her team even sent in another email and just said how much she enjoyed that interview. And I think since then, our best interviews are sort of like that, you know, surprising people that we actually know something about them. Because I still think that with this proliferation of podcasts and the saturation of, you know, the genre of pop culture podcast, right? You you mostly just get people hopping on a mic who do not know what they're talking about. Well, I mean, I'll just say like from my years of doing like junket interviews where you're one of 50 mm-hmm. journalists who go in to talk to people, it is pretty astounding how like many so-called 
professionals just don't know that much about like the people they're interviewing or don't have like an encyclopedia. It's like, don't you feel like behooved to have like a strong knowledge base before you go in with these people? And and on the one hand, research. Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, like I understand, like you want to ask like three or four main questions that you think are the most sort of, um, algorithmically popular like so you might end up asking questions they've been asked a thousand times but at the same time i am too egotistical to do that frankly like i need <laughs> like, i i hate being in a conversation i've had ten thousand times and i think yeah. specifically people on junkets feel that way so it's like you want to key into something unusual that you've noticed or something you saw or whatever um and hopefully that's entertaining for people you you really cannot underestimate the high that you get from asking and, you know, an actor, a director, who, a writer, whoever, about, like, a project they did in 1992 that no one ever brings up to them. Right. And they're yeah. so excited to talk about it. Right. Because, you know, no, they have stories they uh, that, that are still fresh or something, you know, that uh, still are meaningful to them. You know, we had Mary Steenburgen recently. I love Mary Steenburgen. Yeah. I could go on and on. I think it's stories that are fresh. And also there's just something about the fact that when you were doing interviews, maybe for that project then, right? You maybe weren't asked that question, or maybe you have a different feeling about that project yeah, like right. decades later. Um, and also, you know, like maybe just people weren't asking in-depth questions about that. I mean, Patricia Arquette was a perfect example, right? You know, just talking about her acting process and finding oh, yeah, like how romance. much she yeah, is. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, finding out how much she has honed her acting process and then asking her okay well how do you work with david lynch then girl you know (laughs) right Uh, right. and and her being like well this is how i do it you know um yeah no plenty of amazing interviews honestly honestly it's just rare that people are disappointing i think i think when you know people come on a podcast they know okay i have to like talk a lot i have to you know remember things so and they usually do yeah and even people who you would think maybe they're not going to be a knockout interview they'll end up surprising you you know i remember being very surprised by like rebecca black oh fabulous yes no she she went there with us yeah yeah people who people who just sort of know their know their jobs and also care about their work in the way that we care about their work you know Mm -hmm. you can be a random pop star uh who just makes songs for top 40 or whatever uh but if you also want to come and talk to us about your favorite musicians and albums that you listen to, then we're going to have a great time. Yes. So. Tony Collette. That's my last uh, uh, mm. nominee. She was okay. excellent. Yeah. Behind the scenes on that one, Tony Collette, I'm shocked she didn't cancel because right. Tony Collette was incredibly sick the day that we interviewed her and she had the camera off. Right. I feel like we've only had two camera off interviews, really. Uh, three that I can remember: her, Issa Rae, Kathleen Turner. Ah, uh, right. Uh, yes. Yes. But wow. she was sick. She was coughing. Like she, she literally kept telling us she felt like she was going to die. <laughs> but she was so on for that interview. Yeah. No. She. Uh, every movie we brought up, she's like, "Let me tell you this story and then this story." <laughs> we even bothered her with questions about Australian accents. She was deeply <laughs> indulgent for being at Death's Door. <laughs> Uh, we need Naomi. It's weird that she hasn't been here. Yeah, well, and Nicole too. While while talking about Australia, and Kylie Minogue. Excuse me, I have seen Kylie Minogue on a hundred podcasts recently. Girl, (laughs) have you listened to ours? It's like the it's like the Kylie Minogue and Friends show. Yeah, um, I think we'll get Miss Kylie. 
I'm seeing her I, in I Vegas. I will I will bring a butterfly net and bring her back to LA. So just be aware. <sighs> I will be in Vegas soon for BravoCon. Oh wow. Uh good riddance. Uh yeah. you guys I'm, have a good I'm bringing time. a gun. <laughs> it does, does like Andy Cohen go to that? Yeah. Oh, okay. So. All of them go to that. Wow. Yeah, uh, it is insane. So that that should be fun too. Uh, if I survive, you'll hear all about it. So we actually have a bunch more questions from our listeners, and I feel like we'll just get to them during different segments of the show. Okay. All right. Keep it spontaneous. Yeah. <laughs> so. We will be back with more Keep It. We are discussing Troy Sivan's new album. Mm -hmm. We are playing one of our favorite new games, Blind Ranking, which we do on Checkered Casts, uh, one of our YouTube spinoff series that we've created. I love that we have a whole Keep It universe now. Yeah, right. Lots of options for just talking about nonsense. Yeah, so we'll be doing that. We have some um, categories for one another, so that should be fun. And our guests this week are just two of the funniest people in existence. Oh, yeah. Utterly delightful. And also, they bring to um, drag and our TV screens something not many people do these days, which is fucking knowledge. These are people who, these are like old school queens who know shit. <laughs> yes, uh, Jinx Monsoon and Ben Delacran. Are joining us for Legends. this episode. So it's going to be a fun episode. We'll be right back. Fall is upon us, and with it, the official start of spooky season. If the thought of celebrating with a scary movie night secretly puts you off your candy corn, Ruined is a podcast for you. Hosted by horror aficionado and Love It or Leave It head writer Hallie Kiefer and her squeamish friend and co-host Allison Levy, Ruin unpacks a different horror movie every week. And for those of you like Allison who are too scared to watch, fear not, Hallie will ruin the movie for you. Let Ruin help you survive spooky season with your dignity intact. Listen each week wherever you get your podcasts. Well, we've been feeling the rush for quite some time, but if you're sick of hearing that song, Troy Sivan finally released his entire album, which is titled Something to Give Each Other. And also, this album cover, first of all, I think is kind of an all-time classic. I love it. It is. So he, it appears some guy is either sitting on his shoulders or sitting behind him, but naked, and, his, and he's looking up sort of euphorically. And it's just, it, it captures the... Um, joie de vivre of uh, I'm yeah. a gay guy getting my life, you know. Uh, yeah. It's very Although, sexy. Now, once again, people are going to be confused about what positions gay people have sex in. Oh, right. I love when we get that new uh, <laughs> long tweet from somebody about how they didn't know gay people could face each other or know each other's name when they have sex or something. <laughs> well, now you can fuck people through the back of their head. <laughs> it's what we call the Pez dispenser. <laughs> it's like the Matrix. You're just tapping back into the system. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> I love this album. I like this album. Okay. Maybe, maybe I was being a little bit... Um, hyperbolic okay uh, as i tend to be but no i i'm teetering between 
like this album and love this album. There are elements of this album that I fucking stan. And I really think that it is the... He's talked about in interviews so much how there's a Janet influence on this album. And mm. I feel like in certain songs, it's giving Demita Joe. Okay, yes, which I think is only an okay album, but all right. Uh, what I will say about this album is, first of all, it needs a different title, something to give each other. I keep forgetting the name of this album. I keep having to look mm. it up. Uh, but uh, he is very married to being a vibe-centric artist, which is to say you put it on mm. and it's one consistent tone throughout the album. And honestly, a vocal that is pretty unchanging too. I would like it if he was a little bit more adventurous vocally. That said, if you're next to a pool, if you're in Palm Springs, this ketamine soup is going to work for you. You are in this waterlogged <laughs> zone of gay good times. And he and, and he sets out to do that. And I think it, it it's a lot of fun. And also, by the way, there's a lot of romance in this album, a lot of sexuality, and a lot mm. of like putting a lot of what it is to be like a gay guy who's like horny, but emotional, but you know, um, all these things, it, they all appear on the album. I will say about Troy Sivan though, as a pop star, mm. it rarely feels like he's coming to the fore. Like you're getting a full moment for him where he's capturing all the light in the room. And I think it's like, ultimately, even though this strong sexuality is important to him, even though being sexy in music is important to him, he is this kind of mild-mannered person. And I feel mm. like, I don't want to say he disappears in the music, but it's just... It's not like, say, George Michael, where the minute he says, baby, you know you're getting like a fucking hot, throbbing guy who's going to like fill stadiums. Like, Troy Sivan is sort of content to be in the middle of a playlist, you know, ultimately. Mm. You know, I really like the one of your girls video mm -hmm. where he's in drag for it. And I feel like that was one of the first moments where Troy popped popped to me you know the choreography in that video was and in the rush video was great mesmerizing too, the oh the rush video as well yeah yeah i'm not as big of a fan as got me started yeah uh as the other songs on the album i think the sample does too much work for me to got be honest it. but uh you're right in this video in this video where he's in drag i'm also it's like nobody is better suited to a, a drag look than trey savan like he already looks like yes. scarlett johansson and then you put him in drag and he has all the comeliness of like of a lady and 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 the the subject of the song which is um talking to a straight guy and saying if you ever get desperate come to me and you can treat me like one of your homies it's sort of funny and romantic and you know mm -hmm. there's some desperate long classic desperate longing there and ross lynch is gorgeous yes by the way do you know what he looks like in drag though those two twins on that one horrible season of big brother that's what he looks like <laughs> I don't even remember their names, but there were twins. And everybody figured out yes. they were twins immediately. Yes. Well, the early season or the or the, the latter one. The second, one the, the latter one. Yeah. Oh, where where Dave where Davon immediately said, Her face is fatter. Yes, correct. Yes. Legendary. <laughs> yeah. Correct. I also think if you're gonna be a vibes artist, there are few people in that genre who jump out. Lana Del Rey is one of them. She has become, she has yes. stuck to her guns, done her, I come in at this sound, at this decibel level, and that's it. And people fucking love it. I feel like he likes pop sounds more than she does, but I need him to commit to a pop hook a little bit more. At the end of the record, there's a song called How to Stay With You, and that is finally uh -huh. transitioning from vibes to a groove. And if he would make the full transition to groove and get into the, I'm so sorry to bring him up, Charlie Puth arena, I would mm. love that. Okay. 
I get that, and I get the groove element versus vibes. I know you don't love Demita Joe as much, but I love, I love Strawberry Bounce on that album. Is the song Strawberry I Bounce, R&B Junkie, Island Life. I mm-hmm. feel like that is a vibey album, but it also grooves. You put like you put at least like Island Life on, or the song with Kanye. It, it those those are things that like they could get a party started, you know, and at least have a throwback element where you're like. Oh, I hear. I remember this song. I remember this where I was when this came out, and it sort of shifts you into a party. But I also feel like it's easier for black people to start the party, uh-huh. you know, right. so to speak. <laughs> you know, it, you you sort of trust that they're inviting you to a party that's fun. I still right, don't right. necessarily know if a white gay man inviting me to a party if it's going to be fun or not. No. Oh, no, totally. That said, Troy Sivan, I think, is a great appreciator of pop music, which uh, unfortunately sets him apart from certain other pop artists. Like you get the sense that he like not only is he a Britney stan, he's got his favorite eras and their underrated moments or whatever. You know, he's just like Mm -hmm. in in that way, I'll say a traditional gay guy, which is cool. Um, Mm -hmm. um, And so I think this album is extremely listenable. Again, when it's when somebody is that vibe oriented, you're rarely going to turn it off because it sets a mood and whatever you're driving, it keeps it consistent. You know, it's nice. It just gets a little yeah. samey after a while, and his entire career is sort of on the same, you know, uh, pool float. You know, it's interesting because do you remember his song "Dance to This" with Ariana Grande? Yeah, and I feel like for the most part, she's sort of the same. It's interesting that she has these wild swings from time to time. I think a lot of it was her association with Nickelodeon early on, and then her friendship with Nicki Minaj, and then also her very public relationships. Yeah. But for the most part, Ariana is also just hanging out. Right, but again- Especially as a live performer. Yeah, but Ariana wants a monster pop hook. You know what I mean? Like, yes. so she sort of combines the feeling of, uh, a, a, like an R and B artist with also like Katy Perry level production. You know what I mean? It's like always mm. somewhere in between those two things. Yeah, and listen, I mean, I love Leland who wrote and produced this album with Troy. I think that Leland the writing is, is great. I think the writing is really yeah, good. the writing is great. Uh, I think Leland can pull out a monster hook as well. I mean, he writes all those songs for Drag Race. So mm. those and those hooks, when you hear Drag Race song, they do not leave you. Sometimes I need to see the YouTube video 25 times for the song to stick, but they do occasionally <laughs> stick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think all the elements here are fantastic, but I do just want studying that early pop of Britney, for instance, where one of the boys, the video sort of invokes that. And I think the song Silly sort of invokes that as well. But we grew up on hooks, mm-hmm. you know? Well, well we it's also just on... like, I, I can't really tell if he really wants to be like a superstar in the vein of these other people. I think he's sort of content to be on the level of someone like Robin, who, you mm. know, has her super fans and people who are going to see her every time in concert. In fact, the last time I saw Robin, I believe he opened for her. Um, yeah. But like... Tinashe, yeah, yes, for instance. Exactly, exactly. People who have their thing, Carly Rae or whatever, you know, they have their thing, they do it well, and they, you know, do it on a certain stage that's not as large as, you know, a football field. Yeah, which is great because we don't need every artist to be shutting down a football field when they show up to a game, you know? Also, especially, I mean, like, 
when I talk about like Taylor Swift, somebody who couldn't be any larger, a, a big part of what she does is that the prime demographic for the thing is everybody between the ages of like 65 and three. You know, whereas yeah. like Troy Savan can be like, this is for a certain kind of adults only. And so, you know, maybe that means like, like even Beyonce, somebody who I would say makes adult music for some reason, mm-hmm. she like jumps like you can be like a, a young teen or something and still be really into Beyonce. But Troy Savan, it really feels like um, even though we're, we have this like Gen Z is like prime to like somebody like him who's very open about his sexuality and like rad and free and all that. I really feel like it's about a certain sector of adulthood that's supposed to be into mm. him. He's still he's still uh, making music for the Quiet Storm. Yeah, is what you're saying. <laughs> That's the one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm interested to see what the next tour looks like for him. I've seen mm-hmm. him open for people. We've seen him open for Kim Petra. Seen him open for Robin. So I'm interested in what the sort of visual element of a tour looks like. I think he's sort of swinging in that area of pop star who's not going to be headlining the Super Bowl. Right, right, right. For instance, you know? He's too chill. I, I'll, I'll say it, like, Australian. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> Australians are like naughty Canadians. You know, they're like, they're like yeah. self-effacing, but also like all about good times. Thumbs up. Yeah. And Kylie mostly hangs out in the vibe arena too, but I would love a fever from Troy Zalon. Yes, 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 yes. Kylie also has like, you're. I mean, you're right. She, she she's sort of similar in this way, but she also has a very enticing come hither vibe. That mm-hmm. um, you know, like a classic sort of um, um, like '40s sex pot sort of vocal going on or something. Yeah, and I think that Troy has also become a bit more open with making jokes about being gay and his sexuality, etc. But I still remember the earlier interview where. The interviewer asked him if he was a top or a bottom, and his response to that was not what you would expect from, say, a Madonna in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it wasn't it wasn't playful, or it wasn't even a full you know drag of the interviewer either. And I think that's what you need in a pop. You need for a mega pop star for, to really hook you. You need a little attitude. You either Completely. need a little attitude. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You need attitude or a sort of simmering beneath the surface continuous because sure. I wouldn't say Taylor really has attitude, but there's so much that she does where you feel like, if the door closes, you will be shot point blank in the head. <laughs> right. You, there's also a sense of Taylor Swift that she just controls the narrative. Like, you don't really know what happens yeah. behind the scenes. Like, we get, we get a certain window into what she does, and it's, you know, mm-hmm. happy and red lipstick. And uh, Well, that you know. was emblematic of last weekend when the Eras Tour concert film premiered and Beyonce showed up on the red carpet and was at the event with her and people were flabbergasted, shook, even though I recall her attending Taylor Swift's 25th birthday. And I also recall her, you know, how she gave Taylor that award after Kanye snatched it from her MTV and started that narrative. And so it makes perfect sense that Taylor would look up to Beyonce and also makes perfect sense that Beyonce would sort of be a friend, almost mentor type to Taylor. But with the whole narrative of Renaissance versus Eras all summer, it was 
just jarring to see them both on a red carpet together, right? Which then reminds you that you literally have no idea what these women's relationship with each other is. Totally, totally. They don't show us. By the way, speaking of people who um, have strange relationships, I'll say this quickly. To hear that the Madonna tour is apparently going to be fucking great. What a Uh. relief. What a relief. (laughs) I mean, like... I also just want to say this, and you know I love it when people the come set up to me. The set list That's what I mean, though. I don't want to know the entire set list. I took oh. a passing glance. And let me just say, if you are one of the very nice people who might come up to me in the future, by all the means, please do talk to me about whatever. Do not tell me what is on that stage. Because, by the way, mm. I am seeing this woman in motherfucking March. So I'm going to do this. Yeah. I, have to, I have to hold <laughs> off for a long-ass time before I see any of this shit. But... Um, like literally, I was in Starbucks the other day, and I, I'm always wearing a I'm wearing a Donna Summer shirt right now. I'm always wearing something like this, and the, this guy who works there always comes up to me, and he'll be like, "Tell me some story that he's like 48 or something, and has somehow met every pop star <laughs> in existence." This bastard comes up to me as I walk in. He goes, "Oh, Louis, I have to tell you, when she does nothing really matters, right at the top of the show." I'm like, "Please do not spoil this for me. I did not ask for this." <laughs> yeah. No, that reminds me of. The Renaissance tour, which is why I also saw it in Europe, because she started in Europe and then went to the U.S. And the concept of waiting five, six months to see the tour while it was online constantly stressed me out. Right, 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 right. Um, But Uh, anyway, uh, 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 yes, lots of concert things to look forward to in the future. And apparently the Eras tour, when I will actually see it in a theater next Friday, hiding from you know, uh, screaming wraiths in the aisles. <laughs> um, we have a question from Rita oh. Staples. Okay. How do you choose which guests to have on? This is actually very interesting, or maybe it's not interesting, but I feel like some people think that we have the guests sort of foisted on us all the time. but <laughs> we're, we're trapped here. Yes, <laughs> We're trapped. I think it's when they get an interview that they don't particularly like or want to listen to. They, in their mind, they think, well, they were forced to do this interview. But no, for the most part, we have an email that goes out every other week or so with a list of names. And Lewis and I select the people that we think would be interesting to interview and we approve them, and then our team goes out and tries to book them for the show. And also, we suggest names as well and try and grab those people from time to time. Yes, sharp your listeners may know that sometimes I just shout the names out on the podcast and ask them to come out. <laughs> so that's my tactic. And someone asked, who would we like as dream guests on the show? And they said, be serious. You're not getting... Taylor, Beyonce, Madonna, Kylie. Which, not true. First of all, could. bitch. Yeah. I bet we could get. I bet we could get Madonna. Please. You just. She's very accessible. She's on tour right now. But I feel like I could stumble upon her at an after party in New York and just say, "Listen, do you want a voice note interview? I will three way call in Lewis." <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I have to say, weirdly, the upside of the pandemic for this podcast was suddenly all celebrities were stuck at home and they were like, mm. we were as viable an interview choice as any talk show or whatever it was. And so you realize ultimately that if they want to give interviews, they want the interviews to be interesting. And so, I don't know, it sort of always feels like anybody's on the table, uh, ultimately. Yeah. 
what you're saying is that we need to create another global pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> that really worked out for us. Yes. <laughs> I was recording from my closet. I couldn't have been lower, actually. Maggie, Maggie 315 wants to know, when is Pat Regan co-hosting? Has he not been on this show? He has not, actually, which is shocking. Uh, I see him. I, we work out at the same place sometimes, and uh, he's yeah, because he very moved funny, to LA. Adorable, yes, uh-huh. uh huh. Yeah, that's yeah. possible. We did a show together quick, quickly before he moved to um, LA, like a few months ago. We did like a live comedy show together, but mm-hmm. now we'd love to have Pat on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Coming soon. There, that's a threat to viewers and Pat Regan. Um. Evan H. Johnson wants to know, who has better taste in movies? Uh, well, I will say we both have wide-ranging taste. Um, That's fair. I think that would be hard to delineate because we, we do have – I feel like for the most part we fall into the same category of like there's – a, there's a Venn diagram of movies. The center is very large on what we'll like. It's very rare that – like you would see a tar and you would think, oh, I was going to hate this movie. Right, right, right. I will say you have more specific genre interests. Uh, I think my mm. taste does sway older. Um, yes. Because, um, you know, MAGA, which is my whole thing. Um, <laughs> I would say that if you're thinking of things that we would really sort of differ on, Terrence Davies just passed. And oh, yes. I would say that I like House of Mirth. Uh-huh. I don't have any particular interest in any of his other films. Oh, including A Quiet Passion, which I saw in a theater full of people <laughs> who are 250 years old. The world's <laughs> oldest people turned out to Pasadena for that movie. But secondly, mm. um, Terrence Davies, the Emily Dickinson movie with uh, uh, Cynthia Nixon. When people were in line for that movie, I said, one ticket for A Quiet Passion, please. Everybody else I saw in line said, one ticket for Emily Dickinson. They literally could not bring themselves to say the words A Quiet Passion, or they did not know the name of the movie, which is how you know you shouldn't name the movie that, anyway. <laughs> Actually, I saw that as he, before he passed, he was working on a uh, No Coward biopic. Oh, God. And oh. I would have loved the fuck out of that. I love so. when we it's one I'm sure it'd be one of those movies where like the person is preternaturally witty all the time, like popping with aphorisms <laughs> and one liners and stuff. <laughs> I always bring up Mrs. Parker in the Vicious Circle where Jennifer Jason Lee played Dorothy Parker. Not a movie I'm obsessed with, but if you want to see people just like lightly roast each other and like exchange glances and be rich looking and also like wildly bad alcoholics, cute movie. No. Uh, Gosford Park, but good. Yeah, Gos- Gosford Park unfortunately is too fucking long. It's like yeah. they don't get to the good part. It's like Gosford Park. It's like, baby, we're just we're on the walkway. <laughs> really good performance from Helen Mirren in that too, though. Yes. All right. When we are back, we will be joined by the delightful Jinx Monsoon and Ben Dillacrim. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) 
No? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain Mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. <laughs> Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire... Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. (laughs) Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. With chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer. Because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Well, there's no way that we could celebrate our 300th episode without bringing you something special. We have two esteemed icons with us who both have made a name for themselves as drag icons on drag race and beyond not only serving countless show-stopping looks but bringing vaudeville comedy stylings back to the mainstream they are known on both stage and screen most recently even the broadway stage truly no one does it better than these queens please welcome to keep it jinx monsoon and ben de la creme Hi. Hello, hello. Hi. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> we are so thrilled to have the both of you. You're both just like it, it, literally if all you did was your single um your original snatch game appearances, you would be legends alone, <laughs> but you have given us so much else. I, also, I have to talk like the first thing I want to ask about is 
your relationship to each other because you both, I feel like, have immense knowledge, like pop culture knowledge. <laughs> and I was wondering, is that a huge part of how you guys connect? Pop culture knowledge of the 19 what? Yes, old. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. We both we both draw from a vent a vintage well of inspiration. Uh, we we recognize that within each other very very early on. Um, Dela, I would say, has a lot more contemporary knowledge than I do, and chooses a vintage aesthetic. I was born in the Victorian era <laughs> and am having a really hard time catching up. <laughs> I just taught kids about Doja Cat, so we're really, you know, we're, we're doing well. There should be like a My Fair Lady-ish musical about you teaching Jinx things like Doja Cat. <laughs> How to be oh a human in the modern world. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I, I know that Lewis and I, you know, we sort of have that same dynamic. We were talking about this earlier. Lewis's aesthetics and tastes sort of swing older uh, and mine sort of swing more contemporary. But we both meet in the middle. And I just want to sort of know... Where would you say was a sort of cultural touchstone that first intrigued both of you, where you were like, this is this is what I love? You know, like, Jinx, what was it about <laughs> the Victorian era or whatever, or, you know, like so, so, something from, you know, like the 1920s or a film that you saw that just hooked you? I think um, I'm going to let Taylor talk about it, but I think one thing that is very, um, th- that touches on what you're talking about is our shared love of the body of work of Charles Bush. Mm. And people, Charles Bush, Varla Jean Merman, Lady Bunny, Peaches Christ, these queens of the old guard who paved a way for us to have the kind of career that we have. And not just the drag queens. I mean, Elvira's a drag queen, but not just the (laughs) the penis-having drag queens, like Elvira as well, uh, Pee Wee Herman. There's all these drag inspirations that, like, we both worship and revere first and foremost. And that's where we start our process, you know, is like with a shared love of those things. And I think mm-hmm. it's like, you know, with those things in particular, you see it with a lot of the Queens that were like really coming up in the nineties, uh, which is, you know, a lot of what Jinx was just mentioning as well as sort of like peewee late eighties, early nineties, there was this like extreme nostalgia for the sixties and fifties. <laughs> and so I think both of us came into kind of mid century through that like nineties vibe, but then we're actually uh, quite nineties. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, that's what really got me into. So like things like, you know, uh, all of the sort of grand dames of that era and the like, you know, 40s as well, uh, that all of those queens are referencing and, you know, everybody from Anne Miller to Anne Margaret, you know, we <laughs> yes. get that mm-hmm. full range. To Anne Hathaway. Uh, right. <laughs> the last Anne, yes. Um, <laughs> no, but like when you watch Paris is Burning, it's, it's people in the 80s and 90s who are worshiping people like Betty Grable, you know? So yes. it's like, or like, even like as a kid in the 90s, like shows like Animaniacs, that's how someone like me would learn who like Jerry Lewis was. So I felt like growing up, yeah. we had ways, we had ways into the past that I don't know. I wonder if people still have that now. Do you think they do? 
It's drag queens. Yeah, I guess Honestly, that's it. It's I guess that's it. It's us. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think in some ways, like, reality TV is a little bit the death of that, right? Like, yeah. we all got that because it was, like, older people scripting things for us, teaching us about that, you know? Which right. I think is really, which is why I really love scripted stuff. I love, like, writing and creating that kind of thing because you're passing all of your references along to somebody else to fall in love with. I've yeah. joked a lot about how if you've... Um, uh, read Fahrenheit 451 and you know the people at the end of the book they're like they um, <laughs> memorize books so they can keep the book alive drag mm-hmm. queens do that with um, pop culture you know like <laughs> with, like with, with famous with, women's facial expressions <laughs> <laughs> like I mean if you think about the fact that you mentioned Snatch Game so I'm just going to bring it up <laughs> Dela and I Little Edie Paul Lind, mm-hmm. Maggie Smith, Judy Garland. These are not contemporary <laughs> queer icons, but I am so glad that Gen Z knows about these people because these people are, I mean, Maggie Smith, a little different, but <laughs> these people are queer icons for a reason. I mean, Maggie Smith too, but she's still around. She's still got lots to do. <laughs> <laughs> There's something in particular about Snatch Game. It's like, not only are you keeping like celebrity names and stuff alive, but like, it's just an old school idea of what a personality used to be. Like in a way, like like image is so much more important in like the world of like social media. And I feel like people aren't as obsessed with like, what a one of a kind person, you know, like Paul Lynn was, you know, like, like snarky people, like are people snarky anymore, you know? So I, I'm really appreciative of Snatch Game for like crystallizing that like old vision of a celebrity too. Or if they are snarky, is there intelligence behind the snark, right? <laughs> yeah. Like we mm-hmm. see little housewives throwing things at each other, but that's like a different version of snark. Right. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I think even the question of reality TV versus scripted, you know, I think that my comedy senses came from watching things in the 80s and 90s, et cetera. And you're sort of imitating people who were funny, imitating jokes that were written by intelligent people now. And I think if you have a collection of gay men around at a party now, if they're referencing, you know, a Real Housewives thing, which I do love, uh, but they're really just sort of referencing another human being who's not necessarily that intelligent or snarky or coming with or just any like sort a performer, culture, you like, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You're just yeah. quoting something, you know? Yeah. And But there's no history behind the thing that you're quoting. I will, one of my, one of the things that drives me most crazy about contemporary, like, humor is that audiences have been trained to think that recognition is is a joke like if they mm. recognize something being repeated that gets a laugh right like all you have to say if you want to make you know certain people laugh is occur right yeah like, and yeah. with <laughs> hanny you know i was like uh, uh but that's not a joke <laughs> yeah. um i you know i just want to i i just want to say marilyn monroe could sing, could tap dance. She knew how to play rudimentary piano. Uh, Carol Burnett, all of these stars of yesteryear, they had to do everything because an entertainer had to do it all. 
some 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 like combination of it all if you look back like everyone had to know how to carry a tune everyone know had to know how to do a soft shoe to even be in entertainment you had to have qualifications to be there nowadays you can get famous for pretty much anything that's great more power to you but i prefer to watch people be famous for talent <laughs> I think it's also right. Like that's also part of where drag comes from. It's like yeah. before Drag Race, before Drag Race, we had to like produce and write and direct and make our costume, or you know what I mean. Like it was all about sort of like doing everything yourself because we were mostly doing it on smaller scale and didn't have a lot of resources. So I think there's like a commonality there with those old stars, you know? Is there an old Mm -hmm. TV show or like format of entertainment you wish you could have been in that is now long dead? Oh yeah. Um, I, I, I think I would have excelled in a show like I Love Lucy, honestly. Like, I mean, I learned mm-hmm. comedy from I Love Lucy. I would have said absolutely fabulous, like, if I could be, a, like, an American transplant. Um, but, you know, that show never dies. Um, yeah. <laughs> I Love Lucy, I watched that, and I'm like, this was, like, when Vaude- this was vaudeville on television, And I love that Dayla and I, I mean, you said it in the introduction and I don't call it that enough, but Dayla and I, yeah, we've brought vaudeville back to drag and with the Jinx of Dayla holiday special back to television. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think it's like uh, a lot of that stuff is just the stuff that we've kind of like uh, forced upon our audiences, right? (laughs) (laughs) The things, right. The, the things my answer to that question is vaudeville, the kind of broad comedy of the early nineties, late eighties, the, all of that stuff, the old variety television shows, um, and burlesque, right? Like these things that we're just doing and thank God they resonate with the people who come to see us because I think we'd be doing that regardless, but, uh, seems Mm -hmm. to work. So (laughs) I like that you mentioned the eighties and nineties too, because I feel like, well, for one thing, when I talked about things that inspired my comedy, it was also like, I love Lucy because for a specific age of a millennial, when you were watching television, Nick at night existed. And so you were watching, I love Lucy. You were watching, you know, oh, yeah. Get welcome Smart back Connor. Get yeah. Smart. You were watching Bewitched. So that you were into these things, but then also rewatching, I was rewatching like family matters recently, right? I watched the entirety of the series and I watched the entirety of it and how broad, not just Steve Urkel was, but the rest of the show. And when it delved into sci-fi and other comedy, just remembering that our comedy sitcoms that we watched in the nineties were even more vaudeville inspired. They were bigger. They were funny. And I feel like, whether I it was love, friends or living right. single, like honestly, like I mean, it, it's all about bits in mm-hmm. old sitcoms. It was all bits and shtick and kooky characters, and everyone had an archetype. And think of Seinfeld, it's like these four complementary opposing archetypes. And mm. I guess that happens in reality TV. You get this lady on this 
rampage and this yeah. <laughs> this tirade was, and all that stuff was it was it was like written and directed and acted curated and yeah. as as theater like william yeah. race particularly you look at it now and it really just looks like you're watching a play like a really good play mm-hmm. but it's yeah you get more <laughs> of that i feel like in some of the cheaper sort of VH1-ish era of reality television. Obviously, you know, like A Flavor of Love or I Love New York. (laughs) Those were created by people who knew comedy and there are bits in them. Even just watching the show House of Villains, which has New York back on it, and these other villains on TV who are (laughs) coming to find out who's the best reality show villain. And that feels almost Drag Race X because it is informed by the history of funny people on reality TV and they're doing bits and games that feel like there's at least some sort of thought process behind this, you know? I think you're describing the difference between like a reality show, a reality TV show that's literally just reality and like a game show (laughs) that is reality based. Oh yeah, not literally. (laughs) But um. But like, you know, drag sh- uh, drag race, they don't like to call it a game show because it is um because it's also a lot about the humans involved, but RuPaul loves game shows. Oh, and Jesus, the whole yes. thing is set up mm-hmm. like a game show with heart, you know? And I I the reality TV I want to consume is like Lego Wars and <laughs> mm. <laughs> like nailed it, you know? Yes. I want to enjoy I want to see joyful competition. I don't want to see people fighting right now because I don't think I need to mention how much fighting already exists in the world. I'm like in entertainment right now. I'm really happy to support and enjoy and celebrate friendships. And for a while now, this has been a growing trend with shows like Broad City, uh, Mm. Key and Peele. And, um, you know, there's a lot of examples, but like, when the show is created by the people who care about what the show is about mm-hmm. and they're at the helm, you get authenticity and you get that joy and you get to see and celebrate a friendship. And that's why I feel so honored to have found someone like Dela. I have other people I collaborate with. You know, I have a great music partner, a great comedy partner, and we all are a wonderful artistic family. But Dale and I, there's clearly something in our chemistry that brings the best out of both of us. And when the audience sees that, that's what they're responding to, as well as the jokes, as well as the sexy stuff, as well as the drag That's why I'm so proud of this show. It's not just a fun show to perform. It's not just a a good gig, which it is. It's it's just this like, it's this community building event that gets better and better every year. And Dayla and I, I mean, like, I don't know. We've worked really hard on it. So that's why I feel happy to say I'm extremely proud of it. And it's also the the thing about the... uh, sort of not highlighting highlighting friendships rather than conflict, right? Conflict is so revered in uh, in contemporary entertainment. 
And uh, Jinx and I have a really hot, odd couple dynamic, right? Like it's very like our a really hot, odd couple. Really hot. <laughs> odd <laughs> the odd couple was pretty hot. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Mr. Clubman, woo! Yeah. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> um but but yeah i mean we we have this sort of uh you know archetypical uh eternal struggle thing going on but over the years we've been really intentional about being like how do we really increasingly more and more make this about the bond between two mm. people rather than feed the sort of cultural hunger for two people pit against each other you know and so we've maintained that kind of opposing view thing while also really i think trying to cultivate that in our audience of like we want to see people succeed together you know yeah and you know in the past like dayla just kind of mentioned in the past it was about our opposing characters kind of clashing and coming to a middle ground where you took the lessons from both sides of the argument. Right now, we're focused on showing how two people who are fundamentally different can coexist in a harmony when they leave space for the other one's personality. You know, like what I love about what Jinx and Dela have become together as a duo is that Jinx is this slutty, addictive, haughty, vain, bitchy person. And then Dela is like innocence personified, you know, like Dela is like this, this toddler <laughs> in, in, in a gorgeous female goddess body. And, and then you put them together and they're constantly like, oh my God, we're so different. I love you so much. Let's do everything together. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, wait. Uh, also, um, what does the uh, format of a holiday uh, show bring out of the both of you and bring you together? What What is it about, like, the holidays that, like, you know, is powerful for the both of you? Well, you know, I've been <clears throat> doing holiday content since, like, 2007. I've been doing holiday shows, and... I met Jinx just right around that time. And that was like the first project that I was like, hey, will you come and be a part of this? Um, and I had started those shows in Seattle really because as someone who dreaded Christmas every year and really didn't like going home to my sort of New England family who like grinned and like, you know, pretended that we were having this very genuine exchange, but really everyone was like, you know, clashing like through their teeth. Um, but I was like, you know, these ideas of family and homecoming were so felt so alienating to me that we're sort of bombarded with at that time of year. And I was like, I want to make something where queer people can come together and be their chosen family, you know, at this time of year and like reclaim those ideas. And so, you know, and Jinx came and, and started kind of working on in that world with me. And so when it was time for us to both sort of move to our next project and come together and work on this, that's really where it stemmed from, was wanting, was like the queer need for something really joyful at this time of year. And it's this balance between Christmas is so inherently gay with lots of sparkles and singing, but it's also, it also doesn't always include us. So I think that's why this is like, comes from a place of passion. Mm -hmm. I really find that, holiday specials in general is something that has, I guess, survived the test of time because there's always a holiday special go, going from 
the vaudeville era too to mm-hmm. even now i feel like there's always a different version of a holiday special and i've always enjoyed watching it you know it's even so going calming. back to yeah i know you know even going back Something to like christmas in july the yeah. like the stop motion ones and yeah. the way that a lot of queer comedians now have um our friend matt rogers for instance you know like people have people really embraced the holidays a bit more now and i find that just a really fun way to bring out comedy well i think in so many ways and in so many communities where we are at right now at least here that i can witness in america and mm-hmm. our culture and society is a lot of people who have been putting up with bullshit and just kind of putting up with it because that was our only option was to put up with it. We're just tired of doing that. And so we're not gonna anymore. (laughs) 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 And so I think that within that holiday thing, it's kind of like, It's nice to just like have some nostalgia and some joy. And what I like about what we do is we also uh, put it into context of where we're at right now. And I don't like to talk about our show like it's an altruistic community service because it's uh, it's entertainment. Right. You know, like. It's a it, it's something that we do for work and and uh, we hope people enjoy, but year after year, our audiences have allowed us to create something more than just a show. You know, it's because the audiences come and support us the way that they do and go on the journey with us every year whatever our show is that year. And it is entertaining and it is nostalgic and it's drawing on everything we've talked about. And then we talk about what's going on this year and what can we as a community do to protect and bolster each other as we go back out into the rest of the world after winter's over and everyone starts being an asshole again. (laughs) And the the beautiful thing about comedy, I think too, is that it's like you can insert messages like this that are really sincere in a way that I don't think we're all super comfortable with. Like, you know, like sincerity is like not super in vogue, but when you like wrap it up Mm -hmm. in a bunch of dick jokes, Uh. then people are able to hear it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Being funny, I have to say is a pretty uninfuriating way to be smart. You know, like lots of like, (laughs) there's lots of pretension in the world. There's lots of ways of like, Oh God, that's annoying. I don't want to hear that. But funny, like, Oh, now I'm listening. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of even a community coming to support you, Jigs, what I what I really loved about your Chicago run was anytime I was seeing any other show like on Broadway at that time, you could when the show got out, you'd be hearing just like a roaring down the street or something and people would be like, "What is that?" And I'm like, "I think Chicago just let out." And people are waiting to see Jigs. You know? And just thinking about Broadway in general now and how um, it's always dying. Uh, everyone is always like, Broadway's dying. Uh, how do we bring it back? Mm-hmm. And just to see so many people coming to see you in Chicago, uh, wh- how did you feel being a part of the show? And how do you think that maybe infusing drag queens or some other sort of new element into 
you know, a profession, a sort of space that is sort of needs something else in it to keep going? Like, how do you see your run in Chicago as something that could be emblematic of how we can help Broadway be more fun and more... (laughs) I don't know. Such a so draw how for can people. I, how I can my it. performance fix Broadway? Yes, thank you. Um, uh, Jinx saves Broadway. <laughs> no, I, I actually spent a lot of time thinking about this because, you know, it was a wonderful time and it was an objective celebration of a step forward in a community that's been very, okay, we all know, the four of us know how fucking faggoty Broadway is, but then why has it been heteronormative this whole time? Like, Mm -hmm. what the fuck? Like, I mean, queers are literally running the entertainment industry and hiding behind the scenes. And that's not going to be true anymore. Like I said, you know, we're, we're done putting up with the bullshit. So what I think what people were responding to was one, the authenticity I was talking about, like they saw just how fucking much I love playing that role. And they saw how seriously I took it. Hopefully they also saw a member of their community, like have a dream fulfilled, which means that other members of the community could have their dreams fulfilled. Like the same year I did that, Alex Newell won a Tony as a two, two Tony winners were um, gender um, defiant people, you know, that's so it's the authenticity is at the heart of it and it goes into casting. I think Broadway needs to like, you know, just blow open what we thought about casting and we've been doing it slowly. It's time to take leaps and bounds rather than little baby steps. Mm. You know, we've been, we've been, you've seen gender blind casting in the conversation of race and casting for a long time And the conversation of gender in casting has been kind of like we haven't visited that for a while because it's just the assumption that a woman could play a male role authentically and a male could play a female role comedically only. And I hope that with my performance, I showed that a person can play a role authentically no matter what genitalia the role has and what genitalia the actor has. <laughs> and I proved that. Like, I, I I proved that. And that's what I'm proud of with my run on Chicago. You know, like, I feel like I served the role, I served the show, and that's why it was a success on top of the sensationalism of a drag queen playing such an iconic female role. Dela, do you have an ideal Broadway role? Like, one that you think... I could insert myself in that, you know, ancient production and bring something new to it. Well, you know, the, the, I think part of the reason that Jinx and I work so well as a team and complement each other so, so much, like, I, like Broadway has never been an aspiration for me. Like Jinx has Mm. this very Broadway specific set of skills, um, as a, as a performer, but as a director, Mm. Um, mm. you know, like I've managed to, you know, but both as a producer and a director working on this show for the last six years, doing a bunch of other sort of, uh, touring productions and, uh, and sit down productions, 
Um, I've been able to really hone those skills and love doing that so much. I mean, I that is the skill set that I would be really excited to bring to Broadway is like, you know, the the writing, the direction, the production aspect of it, because that's really equally a passion for me as much as the performance. You know? A little Mike Nichols here, if you will. And I wouldn't be surprised if you just told me, and by the way, I'm married to Diane Sawyer. If you just did, I think that'd be kind of shame. You know, and it's another thing that like really, like we co-star in our shows that we create together. And we also bring different skill sets to the table. And over the years, we have really learned how to lean into our skill sets, both as performers and behind the scenes. And I know that I want my future to be with Dela in it. And I know that sometimes it'll be us like writing something together. Sometimes it'll be us performing in something together. And hopefully sometimes it'll be like Dela directing me or... Um, you know, maybe we're not, neither of us are on stage. We have like, in the last six years, we have like done things we never thought we were going to do as drag queens. Dela produced, directed, and starred in a film. We wrote and starred in that film together. We've produced, a, Dela's produced a success, a successful <laughs> holiday tour for the last six years that's only grown exponentially and I now consider myself like a writer when that's not at all what I like set out to be and so just like how Dela never had Broadway aspirations she's now considering that because we have seen that when we put our um, kooky heads together we can do a lot of really cool stuff <laughs> and you both already have Jesus Christ thank you so so much for being here. You were as sensational as we knew you would be. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank, thank you for you. having us. And the Jinx and Dela Holiday Show Tour kicks off November 12th in the United Kingdom. And the 2023 Jinx and Dela Holiday Show Tour will visit 30 cities in Europe, the U.S., and Canada before the end of the year, including a stop at the iconic Dolby Theater in L.A., where the Oscars are traditionally held. We will be right back with our Blind Rankings. Over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi. It's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Walmart, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you can get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. 
That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Continuing our tricentennial celebration, we decided to give you guys a treat. We're playing a game we usually reserve for our video series, Checkered Cast, on Keep It YouTube channel. Uh, but we are going to blind rank pop culture. We've got a couple segments that we created for each other. So I'm going to start with you, Lewis. Okay. And have you blind rank Madonna singles. Okay, so you're going to give me them one at a time, and I'll put them on a ranking of five. Yes. I find this to be cruel, but all right. <laughs> I know, because you don't know which ones are going to come up. Right. So, and, and also, it's hard, because this is something I specifically have ranked to myself before. So I'm hoping mm-hmm. to put them in the positions that I've already chosen out for myself, but I have the feeling you're going to um, bamboozle me. Yeah, yeah. All right. First song is Take a Bow. All right. Well, among ballads, it's in the upper tier for me. My favorite Madonna ballad is I'll Remember. But mm-hmm. Take a Bow, uh, Nine Weeks at Number One. Uh, it's my friend Elise's favorite Madonna song. Elise well, Neal? The same. Yes, that's right. I, I think it's a pretty gorgeous thing. I love the album Bedtime Stories, so I'm going to put it at number four. Okay. Hanky Panky. What's so interesting about this is... Uh, I was watching an old game show called Debt, which is a pop culture mm-hmm. game show hosted by Wink Martindale. And if you won mm-hmm. it, in the final round, they could ask you an extra question about your specialty pop culture topic. And if you got it, you doubled your winnings or you lost all your money. This one woman's specialty mm-hmm. topic was Madonna songs. And Wink's question was, uh, this song goes, uh, and she, he read the lyrics to Hanky Panky, and she had to identify the song. This woman guessed Material Girl. I booed the television. <laughs> I booed the television. How do you get Material Girl from the lyrics to Hanky Panky? Which is a very Sondheimian, like the lyrics yeah. to that song are very literate and specific and naughty. Anyway, <laughs> Hanky Panky, uh, the I'm Breathless soundtrack I think is pretty amusing. It's the soundtrack to Dick Tracy, so there's lots of like um, big band influence on it. That said, it's definitely number five. I mean, it's, it's a fun song, but not sort of uh, historically important Madonna. Okay. Don't cry for me, Argentina. Oh, well, Jesus Christ. You're just, uh, you're just, <laughs> this is ridiculous. That would, def- that would definitely have been six or seven. I mean, I can think of singers who have done versions of Don't Cry for Me, Argentina, I prefer, including Nicole Scherzinger. Um, mm. But I guess I'll put it at number three since you're being cruel. Okay. Frozen. Would I put Frozen above all these other ones? Probably. Uh, I think Frozen is a pretty shocking lead single from an album. And I think Mm -hmm. at the time, Madonna said that she had consulted a rabbi or something who told her to pick it. This is the kind of life she (laughs) Very Millie Bobby Brown becoming a feminist by visiting a psychic. Right. That's one of the great tabloid stories of the past year, by the way. Um, (laughs) Frozen is great. And also can't think of another song that's like it. So I think that alone, when, when something that distinct 
hits like number two on the charts, like that's very admirable. So I'll say that's at number two. And I can't wait to discover what's about to be number one. Express Yourself. Oh, definitely. My favorite Madonna song is Vogue. But Express Mm -hmm. Yourself is so the dead center of like what Madonna represents. The like, don't let them walk all over you. You have ambition. You have, uh, Mm -hmm. your feelings have uh, power and you should represent them. And, you know, get that man to, you know, go down on you or whatever you think the song's about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think think that was about appropriate. Yes. Oh, Express Yourself is a song for the ages. Definitely. And my favorite song off Like a Prayer. No uh, Mm. apologies to Like a Prayer, but I Express Yourself. And the video, of course. The video is inspired by Metropolis. Unbelievable. Um, I love that video. Okay, so I will pick an artist for you, and I think I will do... Janet Jackson. Okay. Since she came up earlier in the episode. Okay. Okay. The first song I pick is Son of a Gun. Mm. Ha ha hoo hoo. Thought you'd get the money too. <laughs> <laughs> when greedy Feeds motherfuckers Carly try to Simon. have their cake and, and eat, eat it, it too. too. Yes. Okay. Should have been on the Marie Antoinette soundtrack. Yes. For one. That, there we are. Finally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, I saw Priscilla. It sucks. Does it really? It's mid. It's very mid. I don't think I'm allowed to talk about Saltburn yet, but I saw that. I thought Jacob Elordi was excellent in it. He was my favorite performance Mm. in it. I think Jacob Elordi is very good in Priscilla, although uh, 60% of the lines needed subtitles. It's very, Mm. you know? I I felt that way when I watched that movie um, Somewhere of hers with Stephen Dorff and uh, Elle Fanning all those years ago. Yeah. Mostly... Yes. Uh, Son of a Gun, I would put at... Listen, I like Son of a Gun, but it's not even my favorite off that album, which is Someone to Call My Lover. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to put Son of a Gun at four. Okay. Um, uh, I just want to say Someone to Call My Lover, inspired by the America song, Ventura Highway, which is also a fucking awesome song. Anyway, um, next song, Feedback. Oh. We talk about this song all the time. Yeah. It is one of America's greatest crimes, and I'm including the war in Iraq. Yes. <laughs> uh, that this did not go to number one. Right, right. I think most historians like, would agree. Yeah. Ken yeah, Burns, this the documentary is coming out. The documentary is coming out. <laughs> this is truly one of those songs that I feel like people are, because I feel like people our age tend to forget whether songs went to number one or not. It wasn't a thing that Stan's fought about online when we were yeah. kids. Uh, maybe older gay men fought about it at Julius. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. But they're like, that diva didn't go to number one this week. Did you read Rolling Stone? Uh, but I think that I would put that at firmly a two. That is a banger of a fucking song. Okay, very good. Next song, Throb. <sighs> from the album Janet. S- s- sexy as hell. Right. That performance on SNL is, is, is iconic. And when Throb comes on at a party now, too, it's very... Because we're in the renaissance of house music now when you hear it in a club. And I think th- there's nothing I love more than being at maybe basement in New York uh, in, the, in the side room and a DJ throwing on Throb or something that just like the crowd gets energized. Right. I'm going to put that at three. Okay, very good. 
together again. I'm going to put that at five. Oh, wow. I like together again. You don't like music but, videos with elephants? You know. Who are you, is, Pink? Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I like together again. And I love the message. But I don't listen to that song that often. Got it. And the last one is Pleasure Principle. Oh, I mean, that's number one. That is my... That worked out for you. That worked that, out for that you. Is, that, that, I think, you know, that's like my fave. That video, come Something on. about that song, just like, it, it's, it, it's, so, it's so light, seemingly, and then the groove deepens, and it's just, it's a hard Some, dance um, song. Simone's performance on Drag Race, of course, has solidified yes. it even further in my mind. Just one of the most iconic beats for a song, too. There are some songs where you hear just the instrumental and maybe you don't even need the lyrics. Like the instrumental is as amazing as the lyrics too. Oh, and sure. put together, it's an amazing song. The opening to The Pleasure Principle, and when you listen to the long version, right, where you get about 40 seconds of that beat before she starts singing. Oh, what a song. Right, fabulous song, fabulous song. Perfect artist okay. for that song too, yes. All right, your second and last category is going to be best actress winners. Oh, okay. Okay. I need to now grip the table because you're getting right into the <laughs> I don't the chakra that's right here. I know nothing about chakras. But you're in this one. Okay. I'm touching my chest. <laughs> okay. I'm not gonna try and be as rude as I was during the Madonna one. Okay, yeah. So I will go with First, Cher, 1988, Moonstruck. Right. 1987, 88 ceremony. But oh, um, that's right. Okay. I will say, something that historically is interesting about that win is that she beat a bunch of amazing performances. I mean, she beat Holly Hunter yes. in Broadcast News. She beat uh, Meryl Streep in Ironweed. She beat Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction. And she beat Sally Kirkland in uh, Anna, which is a fucking awesome performance. That's as close to an American Almodovar movie as you will get. Uh, it's just, a, it's a crazy movie. But anyway. I haven't share. seen that. Go and see it if you can find it. I just saw it recently. It was amazing. Um, and Paulina Poroskova is so good in it. Moving on. Cher. That is one of the definitive comedies of all time. I, I don't think you could name any golden age of Hollywood mo comedy. And I would say it's necessarily better than Moonstruck. I think it's in the top three just. So I think Cher is ju a justified winner and an awesome actress ultimate, uh, altogether. Do I agree with her win? I, I could debate her win, but I'm happy with her win. So I'm going to put her at number four. Okay. Hillary Swank, Boys Don't Cry. Excellent performance, shocking performance. I will say, sometimes with the Oscars, I feel like we're awarding the brutality of a story more than we are necessarily awarding what's in the performance. Not that Hillary Swank doesn't bring it in that movie, but half the movie, it's like, it's like when people say they fucking love What's Love Got to Do With It. I'm like, you were watching Angela Bassett be fucking tortured for half this movie. It's just like, I don't know how, it's like, it is acting, but it's also like, ugh, like I, I can't really stand that. I don't know. So I'm going to put Hilary Swank, an amazing performance, three. Jane Fonda, coming home. Wouldn't have awarded it the win that year. It's not one of my favorite Jane Fonda performances. She certainly looks fabulous. Jane Fonda in the late 70s, that's why we do actressing. That's what they should look like. Um, mm -hmm. That said, I mean, I would, th I would say she's kind of handily outacted by John Voight in that movie. Um, 
I just prefer her and Julie. I prefer her and Clute. They shoot horses, don't they? So I can safely put that at a five. Okay. And Halle Berry, Monsters Ball. You know what? I, I, I wish I could. I, I would move a couple of these up because the problem with Halle Berry's performance is it's slighter than the average best actress performance. Like she comes in kind of late or you don't realize she's going to be as central as she is in that movie. It's a smallish movie. Um, she certainly has an incredible breakdown scene. Her uh, chemistry with Billy Bob Thornton, really good. Um, in general, it's a movie that people have forgotten about, even if they don't forget her win. Um, mm-hmm. I would not have put her at number two on this list, but I, she is she among the positions left. She has to be number two. Mm-hmm. Faye Dunway Network. I mean, one of the all-time performances. I mean, who? I mean, who has served and lived cunt like Faye Dunaway? <laughs> I saw James Urbaniak on Twitter write about this performance once. Something uh, she does in this movie is take it's a one-note satire role. Like, here's a power-hungry network executive who's like throwing things at the wall to to get money for this company, basically. And she really infuses it with a creepy sexuality, a maniacal quality. It's just very engrossing. I think it's also definitely her best performance. Obviously, she's in Bunny and Clyde. Obviously, she's in Chinatown, too. But Network, it's a really deserved win. And it's an anomaly in the category in that the best actress winner is so monstrous. Like, we don't have many wins like that. You know, we have Kathy Bates in Misery and not much else. So I'm happy Mm. with that being number one. Oh, I love that you brought up Misery, too, just because I was talking about that recently. I feel like everyone has been getting Instagram ads for this shirt with Misery on it, and it has uh James Caan's feet, which is very creepy. But I feel like that's a movie that people more know about than have necessarily seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly our age, people beyond, um, you know, Gen X. So people should revisit Misery. And uh, such a breakout film. moment for Kathy Bates. She had been in certain movies before him, but she was really a stage actor. And then that catapulted her, and she won the Oscar. It's like rarely an ascension like that. Okay, uh-huh. I'm going to give you a quick one. I think we're going to do horror franchises. Okay. And I will start with Friday the 13th. Who? You know, Friday the 13th has hotter men in it but not a great franchise uh-huh i feel like jason's a bit of a flop <laughs> so i'm going to put that one at five wow okay next one evil dead oh okay well I th- the new evil dead is really giving it to you so i'm gonna put that at and i think it's funny i think that all the evil dead movies have consistently been very funny and you really can't go wrong with bruce campbell in mm-hmm. the originals so i'm gonna put that at a three saw <sighs> my girls <laughs> <laughs> deranged reaction. It's <laughs> <laughs> like I'm in the trip bountiful, just yeah. thinking about Jigsaw. <laughs> um, J- Saw is such a wild franchise because there are some high highs and then there are some complete pieces of shit yeah. in that franchise. And then Saw 10 is magical. But I have to put it at a four. All right. Halloween. 
Okay, ignoring the Rob Zombie films, I will put that at a two because Halloween has an amazing first film. And I love Halloween too. I think three is very underrated. Um, the season of the witch one. I don't know about all that. <laughs> and then there's some weird ass movies in the middle where there are psychics and it, it gets crazy. And then Halloween H2O is amazing too. I also like Halloween H2O. Halloween yes. H2O good was so good. And I wish that we had just continued from that timeline for the new ones, which are. I think three might end up being a bit underrated in how weird it is, but the second one where this bitch is just like in the hospital the whole movie, like what are we doing here? That's uh, Jamie Lee Curtis shot that in a day. Yeah, no. So kidding. speaking uh, of Halloween H2O, I, by the way, if if I'm looking at a baggy sweater, it better be on Josh Hartnett. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. Okay, that and the is final a one. Man. Did this two, work that's out for you? Two. Yeah. Okay. Did this work out for you again? Scream. Yeah, oh, you know that's my favorite. Would you favorite. say that's your favorite? That, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's my favorite. It's 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 close to being my favorite film franchise ever. Yeah. I think that there are others that maybe could compete with it. You know, I think that I loved Fast and the Furious, but I actually still haven't seen Fast and the Furious 10 yet for some reason. But I think Scream is just, there's no franchise I'm more fucking excited to see each time there's a new film. I think that it, uh, it the highs of it significantly outweigh the lows of it, even six films in. Yeah, right. Because you're guaranteed to also get laughs, you know, and like yes. qualified laughs. There's a lot of wit in those movies, e- even even the ones I don't even like. You know, those, like, there's a, they do a joke pass on those movies. You know what I mean? Like somebody <laughs> comes in and is like, let's make sure we're laughing too. And I think Chris Landon is going to turn out a good queer version for Scream 7. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm excited for that. Yeah, the Christmas one. Exciting, exciting. Yeah. Uh, the holiday special, the Scream holiday show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the holy ghost face. Yes. There we go. <laughs> All right, when we're back, keep it. And we're back for our favorite segment of the episode. It's keep it. And... Before I get to it, I have one last question. Go on. From our audience. The girls are spicy, so I'm going to be spicy for our 300th episode. (laughs) Why are you girls, six years in, still asking me where Kara is? (laughs) She she literally is writing on television series. She's not missing. (laughs) She's on Twitter right now. Yeah, so I think really just to answer your question, like, we all moved on. And I think that that is just a very simple answer. There's no scandal behind it. There was no affair. There was no murder. There was no lawsuit. Like, I think that people have sort of just invented some sort of crazy narrative in their brains that has never existed, mostly because we just never talked about it. But it made no sense to talk about something when we all just parted ways, you know? Do you talk about Suzanne Summers? Oh, we didn't even bring her up. That's important. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love Suzanne. Uh, I mean, I I grew up with Step by Step, so I thought she was like America's mom for a moment there. (laughs) Obviously, on um, Three's Company, when she had to like fight for to be paid better on a show that was a true sensation. That's a pretty iconic um, television history moment there. 
Uh, unfortunately, in addition to being a rad person, she also sucked. Uh, was a <laughs> Trump supporter. <laughs> who she was, was cool, like, and then she was a conservative. Yeah, I'm persecuted <laughs> for my beliefs, like one of those people. Um, but like, you know, the thigh master, uh, uh, American graffiti, lots of great stuff in Suzanne's mm-hmm. past. It was very sad to hear she died. You can, you can, especially since she had battled cancer for so long. I think that she did battle cancer, right? Yes. Oh, for like years and years and years. Uh, Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, I can also sort of see if you are a person who experienced what she experienced on Three's Company and then later in life, I could see how you could be a person who could, you know, fall prey to, I'm being persecuted from my beliefs, you know, because she sort of was persecuted on that show uh in the press and unjustly so precisely precisely no but also i love kathy griffin you always used to talk about idolizing her as like an entrepreneur person just somebody who's like all right i had my thing on three's company and now i've got to make a career out of this then she was like you know mm-hmm. infomercial queen and all this stuff you know one of these uh we had a thigh master at home right precisely you know? precisely uh-huh um that's why i've got these thoughts <laughs> I oh, still I why? still use it while I watch Big Brother. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Lewis, what is your keep it this week? Well, I'm bringing back a keep it non-classic thing we used to do, which is keep it up. Um, mm. This is an, a word of encouragement because someone finally did something standable, and that person oh. is Ice Spice, who <laughs> I saw I saw you retweet this. Yes. Was talking to Complex and why she cares about music critics' opinions. Because they actually study music and care about it. So I feel like I'd rather hear their opinion. I'm more interested in that because at least it'll be paragraphs explaining why they feel that way. And I'll be able to understand the person better versus just one little hateful ass comment from a private page. At least there's an author and a face attached. Could anybody have put it better? Oh, my God. (laughs) Valuing qualified opinions. Love it. Yes. Also, just exactly. It sounds like Ice Spice is somebody who's just like when it comes to reviewing anything, maybe not even just her own work, wants to read and hear what people think. It makes you rethink what you think. I think the insecurity artists have about reading critics is that they are worried they will agree with them. And, you know, it's like everybody's capable of failure. That's something we should embrace. That's something that I think is like life affirming, you know. So if you end up not liking something you did, I don't think that has to be the most humiliating thing that's ever happened to you or it has to be um, damaging to you. And so I just think valuing insight, even if it comes from a critical place, because, by the way, you can you can criticize things that are otherwise good. You know, having valid criticisms does not mean something sucks. Um, so I just, I, I just really appreciated hearing that from her. I think that criticism in general and learning it in school is very much analyzing the context of something and then placing it in, you know, the world we currently exist in, but also comparing it to that artist's other works or other contemporary works. And there are, there's plenty of geniuses, artistic geniuses, you know, whether that's Shakespeare or whether you find it a film director or Mike Nichols, who we brought up, or Scorsese. I'm very much looking forward to Killers of the Flower Moon. Ah, this weekend I got my ticket. You can compare their works and find missteps and find moments that maybe they learned something by something they did wrong. Or honestly, you could just be Fran Lebowitz and never read anything about yourself, but then you also have to be Fran Leibowitz and not complain about things and what people say about you if you're not reading it. You know, you can't right, right, right. both. Uh, Ice Spice in her interview also said 
she doesn't consider herself a lyricist. She said, obviously, lyrics go into music, and I do think about them, and I do be having bars in my music, but they're just super simple. I want them to be digestible. I don't want them to fly over people's heads and they never catch it. I want people to hear it right away and be like, okay, that was cute. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm staggered. I'm, I, I was blown back in my chair. I'm like at the beginning of Back to the Future when Marty gets blown back into that wall. Yeah. Ira, what is your keep it? All right. My keep it is I feel like we have been thrust into the crucible this week or some sort of McCarthy era <laughs> nightmare where everyone has decided that they want to police all of their friends in a very insane way coming out of the Israel-Gaza conflict. And I mean this specifically in the sense that immediately there was an attack by Hamas in Israel and people were responding to that and that was horrific. And then I think what happens online is this sort of insistence that if you point out anything else following that, all of a sudden you're evil. All of a sudden, you are being anti-Semitic. Um, it's reminding me a lot of post-9-11 in America, where you could not be critical of the U.S. Uh, you could not talk about historical context. You could not share an article online um, unless you are perfectly in line with everyone else that you agree with. And I think what happened is we created these very weird echo chambers politically uh, I think, you know, Democrats, liberals, conservatives, et cetera, we all shifted into them and we all splintered off. And I think this week has been very eye-opening for a lot of people who have realized that they created these echo chambers, but everyone doesn't actually agree with each other on everything. Mm. Everyone just got very used to being quiet uh, and not rocking a boat about something. Um, and I just think that we should do less of crawling into your friends' DMs and attacking them and accusing them of things um, just because you're feeling some type of way about something. And that's how I feel. I've, I've been, like, walking on glass all week. I will say about this, I mean, the situation is so atrocious that, like, I, can, mm -hmm. I can't compare it to any other, like, social media moment. Like, I, like I'm, I'm not comparing these two things at all, but, like, Trump being elected or whatever is not even, like, mm -hmm. like there's, there's nothing no. that's, like... And, and like I understand like the confusion about wanting to hear certain things from certain friends, like maybe it's maybe even offline or whatever, um, just mm -hmm. because it's so there's so much trauma occurring and it's so ongoing and so horrible. Um, that said, it's like, you know, <laughs> social media is such an insane place to like have not just have conversations, but like sort things out with people, you know, so um, it's mm -hmm. just and it rewards anger. And I feel like the algorithms give you things that will make you angry and also give you things that will inform your anger. And I just think that lastly, I just want to say if you were horrified by the Hamas attack, then you cannot be angry at people who are absolutely horrified at what is currently happening in Gaza, where more people continue to die, Palestinians considered, continue to die. And I think that we should all be on the side of war is evil. <laughs> and we should all want people um, who are civilians and do not and did not sign up for this shit um, to be safe. And that's how I feel.
Remember at the beginning of this episode when I said, well, luckily we never wander into anything <laughs> outside of pop culture. <laughs> I don't mean to make light of that at all, but look at us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that is 300 episodes of Keep It, baby. And soon we're going to get good at this. <laughs> Look forward. Honestly, it was very nice to have um, Jinx and Ben Delacreme on the show because I actually do want to say um, we could not have started this show um, and been as popular without um, our initial trio of me, you, and Kara. I think that we had a very interesting sensibility um in an era where there truly were not 7000 pop culture podcasts mm -hmm. and so i think that having three different perspectives was very interesting and fun for people to listen to i mean also just going back to when pods of america was created what we were like their fourth podcast right yeah, uh, on crooked and their first pop culture one and <laughs> i think that we had sort of a great rapport then and then we also got to really experiment with, I guess, the form of podcasting because then after Kara departed, then we had a bunch of guest hosts. Uh, and then we had Aida, who was fucking great, um, who is still doing well. She literally texted me like a week ago and said, I miss you. How are you doing? And I was like, girl, you're on strike. Come back. <laughs> I ran into her on the street like two weeks ago or something. We yeah. screamed. It was screaming. It was so good to fucking see her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, like I said, bringing Jinx and Bendelon on the show and talking about, you know, how their interesting sort of dynamics have sort of helped them form you know, their comedy, et cetera. I think, you know, this has actually been one of the best years of our show because I think that throughout all of our different eras of Keep It, uh, it's really just sort of been about, you know, our brains bouncing up against one another and coming up with what we think about pop culture. So I hope you have enjoyed 300 episodes of our show and I hope you'll enjoy the rest of them. Wherever it is our show takes us. Yes, that's right. No, I mean, unfortunately, I'm going to talk about this shit anyway, regardless of whether or not you're recording me. So it's actually just productive use of my time. Um, uh, yeah. In addition to, it's such a pleasure being on this podcast and like uh, bringing guests on and um, seeing wh what the hell is going to be nominated or not nominated or whatever topic is happening. It's always a pleasure. So uh, yeah. thanks for if you've been here the entire time or even just two episodes, thanks for joining us. Yeah, and even when we think we're talking about something stupid or it's like, are we talking about this again? There's really nothing like running into someone in the real world where they're like, I listen to you uh, and I like hearing you go on about these insane topics all the time. And it feels like, oh, okay, maybe maybe I am kind of a normal human being doing doing something useful. But, yeah, right, but I mean, probably not also. You never I'm know. probably you never not. Know. Yeah. I'm probably right. not, no. <laughs> all right, well, that's our show. Uh, and we will see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital team, Megan Patzel and Rachel Gajewski, and to Matt DeGroote and David Tolls for production support every week. And as always, Keep It is recorded in front of a live studio audience.
Hey, everyone. It's Ira, and I wanted to talk to you about Bon Appetit's podcast, Dinner SOS. Bon Appetit is known for giving their readers the recipes that they want to make and cooking advice that works. And their podcast, Dinner SOS, is no different. Put on your apron and join host Chris Morocco and a guest from the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen as they solve your toughest cooking questions. I needed to figure out how to make a dinner party in my new smaller space in my New York apartment, and Chris had the perfect recipes to make my birthday party a success. I do need to point out when I say smaller space is smaller than my L.A. apartment because there's a lot more space in L.A. than there is in New York, okay? I'm not living in a shoebox, but it is New York City. And it is a one-bedroom apartment. Anyway, get your weekly dose of Bon Appetit's Dinner SOS, available now wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> if you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Walmart, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you can get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.